Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you want to actually just head over to 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, that is where we will be for the day. And that'll save us some time later on when I start running over. Um, I hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Um, how about Friday, Black Friday? Do we have any Black Friday shoppers? Anybody? Yeah, no, no, no. There we go. We got a couple in the back. Awesome. Andrea and I used to be avid Black Friday shoppers. Like it was, we'd dress up, we would stay out all night long. It was wild. Um, I want to hear the best deal you got. That's, that was always my favorite thing was getting the best deal possible. Um, this weekend can be a real roller coaster ride of emotions for some of us. Uh, first, you have Thanksgiving on Thursday, and you, you, whether, no matter what your family situation is, you either have a really great time with your family on Thanksgiving, or maybe you don't have such a great time because of whatever family dynamics you have going on there. But no matter what, I just hope that one way or another, you are able to spend some time reflecting on what you are thankful for. And then Friday comes, and for the four of us that are actually Black Friday shoppers, we, we find ourselves out fighting middle-aged women in yoga pants for Hatchimals or iPads, you know, and a day right after we gave thanks for everything we have, we're fighting people. I have actually done that before. Um, then you sleep all day Saturday because you realize that you aren't in your 20s anymore and that you can't actually stay up all night long eating fast food like a teenager and you're exhausted come Saturday morning. So you just sleep all day long and hope your kids are still alive when you wake up. Then you come in here on Sunday and you sing praises to Jesus. It's a real roller coaster ride of emotions through the weekend for some of us. Seriously, though, I hope that you were able to take just some time this weekend and, and to reflect on that. And, and I pray that as we enter into the Advent season and as you... Um, Start looking towards more time with family, depending on whatever that looks like for you individually, that you can just find some moments of joy and happiness and the ability to look towards Jesus. Um, we have been talking a lot about loving others through this book. And, and at times it may feel that in this book, in First John, and in other books that the Apostle John wrote of the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it, it tends to feel that he can be a bit repetitive when he's constantly talking about love and loving others. But I thought about that, and maybe that's because he knows that we as humans need to be beat over the head with that idea of love. Let me start off by asking, who in here feels like they have the idea of loving others perfected? Axel says he has perfected loving others. I know that not to be true. How about loving your enemies, loving the unlovable? Who feels that they have that all figured out? Right? No. How about that command to love others? Who feels they have that command perfected? Of all the commands that Jesus gave, who feels they have the command of loving others perfected? Yeah. I'm glad nobody but my children raised their hands because had you raised your hand, I would have invited you to come up on stage and preach because if you've got these perfected, you should be up here and not me because I struggle at this pretty much every single day. It is one of the hardest commands I find 
in Scripture. But here we go again, 1 John 5, and we're talking about loving again. But John raises the ante a little bit in this passage. He, he adds a little bit to it than just love others, love others. Follow along with me as I read 1 John 5, starting at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, as we can see here, this passage seems to be broken up just a little bit, and it kind of shifts halfway through. And depending on what translation you're reading of, you can actually see a break point. And as Matt and I were actually discussing this passage leading up to it, he made the comment, this is technically two sermons that you have here. It should be two sermons, he said, but we only have the ability to do one. So here you go, Joe. You have 35 minutes and one sermon to cover two different topics. So Buckle up. We'll try and get done in 35 minutes. Is my timer right? Nope. Okay. So when I say that John raises the stakes a bit, what I mean is that he has been talking for several chapters on the topic of loving others. But then he goes in this passage and throws that four-letter word in here, that four-letter word that many of us find so offensive, obey. And that is where we're going to spend some time today. Love equals obedience. First off, John starts off talking about how to know that we have love. And at least two of these shouldn't come as a surprise to us. If you've been here the past few weeks, we've, we've talked about these ideas over and over again. Verse 1 or verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. These ideas are linked. The first way that we know that we have love is that we love the children of God. And the second way we know that we have love is that we love God. The two are linked. We've, we've obviously talked about this idea of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and these two ideas 
they go together. You can't have one without the other. We cannot say that we love God if we do not love his children. And we can't say that we love his children if we do not first love God. Love comes from God. Our sin was drowned in perfect love. That is what love is. Last week, Matt discussed that we can only know love because God loved us first. Loving God's children is the same as loving God. Now, I I understand this idea as, as a father and as a husband, as a family member. Personally, for me, there's no greater way to show me love than to love my family. In the past eight years, the people that I have had the closest relationships with are the the people that show Christ's love to my children and my wife. In fact, that that was actually part of our testimony. Before I actually gave my life to Christ, we attended a church service. Andrea had been bugging me for a while about going to church, and one night I finally gave in. I said, okay, we'll go to church tomorrow. But during the time when they said, you know, turn to your neighbor and greet them, A man turned and he saw me and he crossed the aisle and he walked back to me and he asked my name, he asked my son's name and he asked my wife's name. He said, I'm glad you're here. It's good to meet you. A couple weeks later, we went back to that church, but this time we didn't, we didn't have our son with us. That same man saw us and he walked up to me and he said, good morning, Joey. Where's Deacon? The fact that 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 man remembered my son's name and he didn't know me from anybody. It impacted me immediately. That man is still to this day one of my dearest friends and he has shown me what it truly means to love God's children, to care for them, to connect with them. If the love love of God is in you, you will love his children, even the ones that are hard to love. Now, the third part of knowing that we have love is the idea that it's harder for some of us, but it is repeated many times throughout scripture. That is obedience. The way you love God is to obey his commandments. It does no good for me to simply tell my wife that I love her if I'm I'm not showing her that I love her, sacrificially stepping outside of the ways that I want to show her that I love her and showing her love the way she wants to receive it. Talk is important. It's important to tell people that we love God and that we follow God, but if we're not actually obeying God's commandments, it doesn't matter what we say. And that rolls us right into verse three. It says, Obey his commands right before that. Then it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome? Really? I, as I read through scripture and I look at my life, I often find moments where I find God's commands burdensome. And as I thought about this over the past couple of weeks, I thought about some commands that I personally feel are a burden, commands from Scripture. 
hard commands. Like in Matthew 5, 39. I'll just read it. I was going to put it up on the screen and I'll admit I forgot. Matthew 5, 39 says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone was to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And then verse 44, the hardest part. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Not just love Christians, not just love the people who you like to love. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That seems like an incredible burden. Not just tolerate your enemies, not just smile and say, hi, how are you as you walk away from them, but actually love them. Actively express love to people that are potentially mean to you and have potentially hurt you in some way. That feels like a burden to my flesh. But yet, Jesus came to give life. And so we have to believe that his commandments are meant to give us life. Until we can believe by faith that God is trying to set us free by his commands, we will never believe this passage in 1 John 5. We will read that command, we'll read that statement that his command is not a burden, and if we cannot believe by faith that that is trying to set us free, we won't believe it. And we will not believe that God's commands are not a burden. Can you love the person who bullies you? Can you love the boss that takes all the credit for your hard work? Can you love that lazy coworker who just doesn't work hard enough? Can you love your ex-spouse, your ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-lover? Can you love them? Can you love someone who has made your life completely unbearable for the past eight years? From a distance, I can. As long as I'm not in the same room as them, as long as I don't have to see them, I can say that I love them. But what about when you're right next to them? What about when you have to do something with them? Forgiveness and loving your enemies does not mean that you will be best friends with them. But it does mean that you will find ways to sacrifice your thoughts and your feelings that you have a right to hate them. Because we have that feeling. I know we do. I know I do. We have feelings that we are right and we are justified. Ryan talked about that. We make up these excuses and we say, well, God, it's okay for me not to love them because they did this or they said this or they hurt me. And nobody really likes them anyway. We can't make up excuses. We are called to love them because they too are worth the love we all have received. Now, my wife experienced this. I often tell my own stories, but I felt it was important to tell one of my wife's stories. Years ago, before we were followers of Jesus, Andrea worked as a supervisor at BioLife Plasma. And while she was there, she had a lady that worked with her, Sweet Mary. 
Sweet Mary was a, a follower of Jesus, and she loved Jesus with all of her heart, mind, body, and soul. And Andrea made her life miserable at work. Mary would request off days to go to her Bible study or to help out with youth group, and Andrea would deny those requests because she was a supervisor. Andrea would come in hungover one early Saturday morning and sit in her office and doze while Mary was busting her butt on the floor. One morning, Andrea even shows up so hungover, she's in the bathroom throwing up. Sweet Mary goes into the bathroom and is holding her hair back while Andrea's throwing up. That didn't stop the persecution. She didn't stop, stop denying her requests or being mean to her. Fast forward six years later. We're now in church. We've now gotten saved. I'm now the youth pastor at a church. And we hear that there are missionaries coming to visit our church to talk about the mission field that they're going to. And we're in church and these missionaries get up and stand on stage and my wife squeezes my hand so tight. And I said, what's the deal? And she goes, that's Mary. I don't even remember Mary. I'm like, what? Who's Mary? So she tells me this, this story of who, reminding me who Mary is. And I did what any loving husband would do in that moment. I laughed at her. I laughed because I have been in the same small town for 34 years and I have experienced this so many times. There are so many times that I stand in a church and I'm face to face with people that I have done horrible things to in this town. But it was finally her turn. And she says, I feel like I'm supposed to go talk to Mary. I said, I I feel you are too. She goes, well, if God makes a way, there's so many people here and they're all gonna wanna talk to Mary. I said, you're probably right. Like God parting the Red Seas, her and Mary are right across from each other and they lock eyes. (laughs) And Mary smiles and comes running up to Andrea and hugs her. She said, I heard you guys got saved. I heard your husband was a youth pastor I want you to know I never stopped praying for you. When we feel that God's commands are a burden, we need to hit pause and realize that the devil is at work. The devil is trying to convince us of the same lie that he told Adam and Eve in the garden, that God's laws are hurting you, that they are keeping you from something good. God's commands are meant to give us life and freedom from sin in Christ. When we feel that a command is a burden, we need to pray and ask God, how is he trying to set us free and give us life through this command or even potentially give someone else life through this command? Our command to love others and love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, that may be giving life to others through this command disobedience to God's law is more of a burden. You have to see God's command as giving you abundant life, protecting you from the hurts and the pain that this world can offer. And I want you to keep your finger in 1 John if you are still there and flip over to Psalm 119. Here is a clear picture of someone who understood the idea of God's commands being a blessing. We're going to read the first couple of verses and I'll I'll let you guys get there. Psalm 119. This is actually the longest chapter in the Bible and its theme is the word of God. 
In fact, every verse in Psalm 119, but two, focus on the word of God. But the interesting thing is how much the psalmist loves the word of God and enjoys telling us about it. Verses one and two, Psalm 19. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Jump down to verse 24. We're going to jump around this chapter a lot. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. These aren't the words of duty or obligation. I have to follow your law. He's saying they are a delight to me. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Comfort in the commands of God. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's commands are more valuable than all of the riches and sweeter than the, the thing you love to eat more than anything else, sweeter than that pumpkin pie. That is God's words. You don't obey somebody unless you love them. Fear only results in mock obedience when you are being watched. Our ability to obey the commands of God flows from a love and a faith in God. We all are the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, help that person. Go help them. We need to respond, what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to help them? And we need to respond joyfully because we love God. Do you obey Jesus? If you do, then you know that you love him. If you love him, you love his children and you do what he asks you to do. Many of us know the passages that tell us to cast our burdens at the feet of the cross and Jesus tells us that he will take our burdens and that his yoke is easy. It's true that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and live a life following him, we can get through crisis and problems with less stress. We can find comfort in his word, comfort in prayer. But we also have something else when we become believers. We have the body of Christ. This is why we are eager to greet you in the mornings. This is why we try to connect with you when you walk in. We see the burdens you carry and we want to remind each and every one of you, you don't have to carry these burdens alone. God calling us to obedience is not burdensome. They give us life and they free us to live a life for him instead of a life as a slave to sin. And they are able to be achieved when we put our faith in Christ, knowing that he has our best interests in mind. Now, our faith in Christ is where we find victory. Verse four and five. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith is what holds these passages together. Everything before this, we can call the fruit of our faith. Loving God and loving his children, obeying his command. This is the fruit of our faith. And now as we move into the next section, we can see that everything in here is is the foundation of our faith. Until we can connect our faith in Christ with God's commands, we will struggle to overcome the world. Pastor John MacArthur says about this word overcomer. He says, John clearly defines who these overcomers are. They are all who believe that Jesus is God's son and all that that means. The overcomers are believers, all of them. The word for overcomers or overcomes comes from a Greek word meaning to conquer, to have victory, to have superiority. It is a conquering power. The word reflects, he goes on to say, the word reflects a genuine superiority that leads to an overwhelming success in victory. It is demonstrable. It involves overthrowing an enemy so that the victory is seen by all. Jesus uses this word to describe himself. Because of our union with Christ, we too partake in his victory. The word overcomes gives the idea that the believer has continual victory over the world. It's not just a once victory. It is continual victory every day. In order to overcome this world, to have victory over sins and temptation, we must obediently put our faith in the fact that God is good, that he wants what's best for us, and that his commands are not a burden. But then, like I said, we have the foundation of our faith. What is the foundation of our faith? Well, verses 6 and through 8 clearly define that for us. But these, these passages are somewhat difficult to read when you just, or to, to, to difficult to understand when you just read through them quickly. So this is, again, when I had to go back to my big stack of books and watch a bunch of different sermons and read a bunch of different blogs just to understand what is going on in these verses. It's important to understand that Almost all of the New Testament books outside of the Gospels were written to specific people in specific locations. And and some of the topics that they write about are actually writing about false teachings that were floating around in that time. And this is one of those topics. The phrase came by water and blood is referring to Jesus' baptism and crucifixion. At this time this letter was written, there was a a false teaching that said that Jesus was only the Christ between his baptism and his death, that he was merely human until he was baptized, and then at which time the, the Christ or the Spirit descended on him, and he became God, became the Christ, but then at the right before his death, the Christ or the Spirit left him. Now the reasoning for this was that they thought that if Jesus was fully God, that he shouldn't be able to die. But since he was also fully human, he, he could, and we know that. 
And this is that interesting dichotomy, that hard thing to understand of fully God and fully human and how does it all work? And it's some things that we just have to say, I don't fully understand it, but I know it to be true. If Jesus was not fully God at the moment of his death, everything that we have done for the past 2,000 years would be absolutely pointless. We might as well close the doors and go home because there's no point to what we are doing and talking about if Jesus was not fully God at the moment of his death. John is saying here that the baptism and the crucifixion are connected, that they are bookends to Jesus' ministry. You can't have one without the other. If you do, you, you lose the gospel if you separate them. He says the water testifies. The baptism of Christ testifies to the power of Christ and his ministry and all that he did when he was on earth. The crucifixion, the blood, the blood testifies. The crucifixion of Christ testifies again to his power, but his overcoming death and sin And then the Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit's continual testifying to the work of Jesus in our lives, transforming us to be more like him. That is a daily testimony to those that see us. Now verse 9 says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. It's not just about what I say. What does God's word say? In Acts 17, verses 10 through 11, it talks about Paul and Silas and they're out preaching on their missionary journeys and they go into this synagogue and they're preaching to all these Jewish believers and they believe what they say, but then those Bereans go back home and they examine the scriptures to make sure that what Paul and Silas were saying was true. There would be no greater joy to Matt and I than if you were to go back and examine what I say. I know you've heard it before, but don't trust what I say. I am just a man and a flawed man at that. And I'm reading this and I feel God is leading me, but you need to go back and you need to examine God's word for yourself. And if at any point you feel that what we have said is incorrect with scripture, we want to know. That is why Matt and I preach to each other before we stand up here on Sunday morning. It's to make sure that what we are bringing you is focused on God's word and not ourselves. Now, if you don't believe what God's word is telling you, you're calling him a liar. That's what verse 10 says. It's very black and white on this topic. There's no gray area in here. You can't pick and choose what commandments you want to follow. God comes to to give life when you confess your sins and you accept him as Lord and Savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If we do not believe every single word that this book says, we need to ask ourselves what we truly believe. Every single word is God's word. And if we don't believe God's commands, we call him a liar. We talked about the water and the blood and the spirit testifying, but what is the testimony? It's the gospel. Verse 11 and 12. 
It says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is something bigger than this world. The testimony of God points us to that. You can be born again. He can rescue you from your sin. Some of you who are believers may say that you've given up something to follow Jesus. Some of you may, have, may feel that you have lost certain things because of your faith. Some of you may say that you can't become a believer or that you can't fully obey his commands and put your faith in him because of what you would have to give up in order to follow Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Nothing but a lie, a lie that this world will satisfy you. If you do not have the Son, you are dead. No matter how much you think you are living, you are dying. Without Christ, no matter how much you achieve in this world, we will all end up in the same place at the end of our lives. Christian author and pastor John Stott says that there are three important truths that are taught in these verses about eternal life. First, it is not a prize which we have earned or could earn, but is an undeserved gift. God gives us his son freely. We, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, to earn his favor. Secondly, he says that this idea of eternal life is only found in Christ. And that in order to give us life, God both gave us his son and gives us his son. He gave us his son on the cross, but yet he continues to give us his son every day. And thirdly, this gift of life in Christ is a present possession. Now, it's obviously described as eternal, but this eternal life can be received and enjoyed right now. Eternal life starts at the moment of salvation. It's not just suffering through this world and dealing with all the hurt of this world until we someday get to heaven. Now, this is a perspective change for many people. We, a lot of us as Christians just feel like this current world is, is just the burden we're living with and someday we'll get to heaven. Eternal life starts now. Are you living abundantly? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you see his commands as a burden or a blessing? Does your life show the fruit of your faith, that you love God, that you love his children, and that you obey his commands? Is your faith built on the foundation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, that he was baptized and lived a perfect, sinless life, that he was crucified and buried, and on the third day he rose again, and that the death of Jesus is the perfect sacrifice to cover all of the sins of the world? 
And then if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can be saved from eternal hell and punishment and you can live an eternal life with Christ and that you can experience that abundant eternal life in Christ and his love now. These are the foundations of our faith. And if you question any of that, I encourage you to talk to someone about it. Now we are entering into a season that can be whatever you choose it to be. Will it be characterized by love, obedience, and the testimony of Christ overcoming sin and hell? Or will it be just another season of following the world, pursuing what the world tells you is more important? Will this be a season of unmet expectations and living for the world? Authentic Christianity is found in this passage in our faith. Authentic Christianity is built on the foundation of our faith in Jesus, his ministry, his work on the cross, and his spirit leading us every day. And it propels us to the fruit of our faith, to love God, to love his children, and to obey his commands. Jesus Christ came to set us free from the bondage of sin and selfishness. That is the testimony of the Bible. If you believe that, you have life that no one can take away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these passages. God, I know that obedience is difficult. I know that there are times in our life when commands can feel like a burden. We read passages and we look at our life and we look at the world and we say, God, this is hard. But God, you give us, you gave us your son and he sets us free. And you give us your spirit to walk with us, to lead us, to help convict us of the sin that's in our life and show us what next steps we need to take. Father, I pray for each and every one of these people, that they can take one more step towards you in Christ-likeness, that they can love you, love your children, and obey your commands. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.